Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Let's open God's Word now. 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to continue our study in this section of Timothy's letter from Paul and its instruction about the various relationships within the church, what God's Word has to say about it. And and in this particular section, it's about the care of those who are alone and needy among us. It's about the care of widows. So let me read the text. I'll pray and then we will study it together. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. The Apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God when he says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them, Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. This is God's Word. Let me pray for us before we go any further. Father, I do thank you for the time we've had in in worship to sing the songs and to hear uh, the reminders of the importance of blood and this new covenant that is consecrated by Christ for all who believe. And I think about the, the people of God in the old covenant and the blood sprinkled upon them and I I'm reminded even today as we drink the wine and we eat the bread that we are consuming those things. The the cleansing power of the blood of Christ is not just external, it starts in the heart. And so Father, I thank you for this picture and I, I thank you for this opportunity to study your word more clearly, more carefully, because I believe that we see in this instruction to care for the lonely and needy among us, we see a reflection of your own heart for us. Because we are lonely and needy people. Apart from Christ, we are lost in our sin. And you, not based upon any obligation you had to us as Gentiles, 
But you, based upon your mercy and kindness and the great love with which you loved us, you sent your son to live for us and to die for us so that we don't have to be lonely and needy any longer, so that our sin could be covered and we could be drawn into relationship with you that you will sustain for eternity. So Lord, we thank you for this gospel truth. And as we study this passage, let us see the heart behind it, the heart of our God to care for those who are needy, and let us reflect that in how we care for those among us. Teach us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Did you know that older adults, those 65 and over, are among the fastest growing group in our nation? It is estimated that by 2030, just six years down the road, 73 million Americans will be in that age range. That's 21% of the U.S. population that's just over 330 million. By 2040, that number is expected to increase to more than 80 million people over 65. That 65-plus age group is already large, and it is growing, and, and that's a blessing. What a blessing that so many Americans are living longer. But there are some concerns that go with that. Healthcare costs are not going down. They're going up. The cost of long-term care facilities is also increasing, and it won't be long before the numbers of those needing long-term care exceeds the capacity of those facilities. We're already seeing that now in our area. Today, nearly 1 in 10 people, almost 10% of those age 65 and over, live below the poverty line. And we should note that Poverty and hunger go hand in hand. But the statistics will tell us that one in four adults in that age range will scrimp on food and other necessities just because of the increased cost of health care. So, like I said, it's a blessing that we're living longer, but there are burdens and concerns that go along with that. Many of these older men and women have little choice but to try to remain working to make ends meet. But as you know, not all of them are able to work to meet their needs. So who is going to care for them? How will our fathers and grandfathers, our mothers and our grandmothers, get by in the years ahead? The answer to these questions is not easy. Yes, government programs might help. And they provide some support, but they only scratch the surface of the needs. But for us as Christians, the answers don't come as we look to the government. The answers come as we look to God's Word. The care of our elderly parents, especially those who are widows, falls to children and grandchildren first. God makes that very clear in the text. But the church also has a significant role to play in this as well. Now, it should not be lost on us that in the midst of this letter that Paul has written to Timothy to bring the church into order, and in the midst of all of these relationships within the church and the instruction that he gives, it should not be lost on us that the largest portion of that is given to instruction about caring for widows. With all of the theological issues that the Apostle Paul is trying to address, with all the persecution that he is facing, and with all the burden of ministry that he has upon his shoulders as a missionary pastor all over the Roman world at that particular time, the Apostle Paul gives a lot of attention to this issue, the care of widows, and his concern reflects the heart of God. 
God is near to the brokenhearted. God cares for the needy. God cares for the poor and the widow and, and the orphan. God is the defender of the fatherless. We learn all of these things in Scripture. And we know as gospel people that He cares for us. And we fall into a category of being very needy and apart from God because of our sin. But in His love, He's come to us. And what this instruction is intended to do is for us as gospel people who have come to receive the mercy and grace of God in Christ by faith is to be able to return that to care for those among us who are needy. So with all of that, Paul gives us some wise instructions, some practical instructions on how to care for the widows among us. That's the point, the care of widows among us. Now last week we learned that there are four categories in this passage that widows may fall into. Number one, the true widow, or as some, some text will say, the widow indeed who has no extended family to care for them. The true widow or the widow indeed. Number two, you have those widows who have children and grandchildren. We talked about that a little bit last week. Number three, you've got the younger widows who should remarry if possible. And then number four, you have those widows who tend to live for pleasure rather than for the Lord. So we spent the bulk of our time last week focusing on those widows who have children and grandchildren to, to provide care for them. Today we're going to consider the other category, starting with those who are truly widows or widows indeed. And Paul says here in the text, he says that those who are truly widows are those who are truly alone, they are truly in need, and he tells us that we are to honor such women. And I, I argued last week from the text that in the context of this passage, honor there doesn't mean that we simply respect them. Honor carries with it the responsibility of providing financial support and care. And the reason I said that is because in the very next section in dealing with how do we relate to our elders in the church, the, the same word is used in the context clearly indicates that it has to do with financial support. So that honor that we are to give to widows includes a respect, but it also carries the idea of financial support and care. And he gives us this host of criteria to help us determine who actually fits into this category. In verse 5, Paul says that this group includes those women who are truly alone. And then he explains those women whose husbands have died and they have no children, no grandchildren to care for them. They must also be a faithful believer in Christ, one who has set her hope on God and has been faithful in a life devoted to prayer. We see that quite clearly right in the text. This woman is a widow indeed, and the church has a responsibility to organize and provide care for her. But how are they to ensure, how are we to ensure that she actually receives that care? Well, look at verse 9. In verse 9 we read, we see this strange term that she is to be enrolled. Her name is to be registered on a list. And this implies that the church, even in the first century, that the church had an identifiable list of women who met this criteria laid out in front of them. They knew who they were and they were they were enrolled into a particular program of care within the church. And we see some basic examples of this in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 9, Luke refers to the widows, this group of widows in the, um, among the saints in the city of Joppa. 
And he mentions by name a woman named Tabitha. She was also named Dorcas. You may remember this text. And it is likely that she was one of those widows. She was one who had a good testimony of good works as well as acts of charity to the poor. But she was listed in that category of those widows in among the saints in Joppa. And, and the reason that I think that that points in that direction is that he doesn't just say all the saints in Joppa. He says the widows among the saints. Interesting. In Titus chapter 2, Paul gives us an extended list of character qualities as well as ministry opportunities for older women. And it is likely that he's talking about a similar category of women, a similar list here. He says this, older women, this is Titus 2 verse 3, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not, not slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Well, who are they to teach? They are to teach and train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure and working at home and kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. So we have some some other instances in the New Testament that, that show some direction for these women and these qualifications and the fact that they were a part of a group. You also see evidence of this in the early church fathers. I don't know when the last time you studied the early church fathers was, but I get paid to do that. So here we go. Ignatius and Polycarp and Tertullian. They mention in their writings that there were groups of widows spread all throughout the church, and they actually served in an official ministry capacity. That that ministry capacity was guided by Titus too. They were instrumental in training young women and discipling young women, helping them to understand how to love their husbands and rear their children and manage their households. There is more historical evidence to support this official order of widows assigned to certain ministry positions, like I just mentioned. And it's clear from the text that Paul wanted Timothy to make sure that enrolled widows, those who are truly widows, are receiving care from the church, but they're also actively serving in their local body. They were to be faithful in prayer for the church as well as faithful to train younger women on how to love their husbands, raise their children, manage their homes. And we see in verses 9 and 10 that she is qualified to teach this to younger women because she modeled it in her own marriage and family. Look at verse 9. Let the widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. So the widows who are widows indeed, the widows who are to be enrolled, they must be truly alone with no family to care for them. They must have been faithful to their own husbands. The text tells us that they should be 60 years or older. And there's a, there's a lot of speculation as to what this means. We, we don't know exactly what Paul had in mind here. In the text, he says in verse 16 that he doesn't want all of the widows in the church to become a burden for the congregation. So maybe that age stipulation had to do with not overburdening the church with the care of this group of women. It also had to do with just basic age and desires in life that they were not going to go after the the pleasures of the world like the younger widow. There's some context there. But age is not the only factor for enrollment. They must have a good reputation actively serving, faithfully serving Christ, showing hospitality to the body. 
opening their homes, being washing the feet of the saints. We believe that's a euphemism for caring for and serving the needs of others. Now, it might have been foot washing. That was a, a common role that was done in that particular time frame. It was often done by a slave, a servant. In this case, it was done by, perhaps done by these widows. But the, the whole point was they were humbling themselves and they were caring for others, showing deference to others and being devoted to good works. In other words... These are godly women. These are mature women. They have not been idle. They've given their time and their resources. It it takes resources to show hospitality. They've given their time and their resources to caring for others in the church. And the church should be eager to return that care to them. In such cases, we should be eager to step in and assist with the needs that these widows have. They've shown themselves humble, unselfish, eager to serve, faithful to Jesus, and they deserve to be honored and cared for by the body of Christ that they serve. That's what this text is telling us. But what about younger widows? Well, let's look back at the text. Younger widows, verse 11, but refuse to enroll, refuse to to enlist younger widows... For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Now what is that all about? First of all, one of the questions that just comes to my mind as I'm studying this passage and there's all these different categories of widows, it's like, why, why are there so many widowed women in that church? I mean, so Timothy is the pastor for the church in Ephesus and they're at a, at a particular time where life expectancy was not particularly high. The times in which these women lived, their husbands were likely to succumb to sickness because they didn't have the kind of health care opportunities that we have. Working conditions were not pleasant. Um, military service was a necessity for a large percentage of these men because war was very common. Not to mention, as Christians the very real threat of persecution and death for faith in Christ. So all of these factors make up at least some of the reason why there's an abundance of widowed women in the church. But back to the text, Paul says, and and in the case of those younger widows, don't just be concerned for their well-being, but also be concerned about their commitment to Christ. He urges younger women to remarry in verse 14, but says here in verse 11 that some of them will be drawn away from Christ by their desire to remarry. So what is going on with this? How do we make sense of this? This this just seems like a contradiction. Well, I don't think it is. I think there's possibly two scenarios in mind with regard to younger widows. One possibility is that their passions, their strong desire for marriage will draw them away from Christ. And and I I think there's a reason for that. Paul is saying that some of them might be so desirous of marriage that they will throw aside their commitment to the Lord and marry someone who is outside of the faith, marry an unbeliever. I think that that's the point that he's making, that some widows will be drawn away from their faith in Christ by desiring to marry those who are outside of the faith and unbeliever. In other words, Paul is discouraging these women from marrying unbelievers because the results will be that they, in part, will abandon their trust in Christ. Now, that's one scenario, and that's 
I think that's a good scenario. There's another scenario. Some commentators suggest that the problem here is not remarriage to an unbeliever, but the breaking of a vow of celibacy. That along with these widows needing to be enlisted into this order of widows who serve in the church, that they had to take a vow of celibacy, and then they desire to marry, and they break their vow, and breaking their vow means they're in some ways breaking faith. And so some people hold to that particular view. I, I don't hold to that view. But whichever way you interpret this, there are two types of remarriages mentioned in this passage. One is condemned as an abandonment of the faith, and one is encouraged as a good step of faith. I take the position that some of these widows will show themselves to be more concerned with the pleasures of the world than with faithfulness to Christ. They will seek marriage outside the faith, and that marriage will be devastating to them because in this particular day, it was common for wives to adopt the religion of their husbands. And to do so would involve a rejection of that widow's prior faith in Christ. Paul tells of another concern for young widows. In verse 13, it's that they would be idle. They would learn to be idle. He says, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. Now, Paul does not live in our very politically correct culture. Saying some of these things can really get you in hot water. But what he says is true. What he says needs to be taken to heart by us today, regardless of standards of political correctness. This concern should be taken to heart, not just by those among us who are young widows, but by all of us. Paul says that idleness and gossip is a learned behavior that commonly afflicts those with too much time on their hands and not enough humility in their hearts. And we can easily imagine a scenario where a young person or a young widow spending time in the homes of other church members helping out with children and whatnot, that that young widow might be tempted to spread information about those families that's not hers to share. And that seems to be exactly what Paul has in mind here. The fear is that with their tongues... These women will stir up trouble in the church rather than faithfully serving the needs of the church. And this is no small concern. This is no small sin. After all, the tongue is, as James tells us, it is a fire. It is a world of unrighteousness. Morgan Blake, who's a sports writer for the Atlanta Journal, he penned these words and they are haunting. I am more deadly than the screaming shell from the howitzer. I win without killing, I tear down homes, break hearts, wreck lives, I travel on the wings of the wind, no innocence is strong enough to intimidate me, no purity pure enough to daunt me, I have no regard for truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless, my victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent, I never forget and seldom forgive, my name is Gossip. How easily we underestimate the damaging and destructive power of words. God has given us tongues so that we can praise Him. He's given us the ability to speak so that we can build one another up and not tear one another down. Our tongues have the ability to train our children to praise what is praiseworthy, to speak the truth of God in love, but we often use them for sinful reasons. And Paul is deeply concerned about this amongst these young women. And don't forget, he knows these young women as well. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, the proverb tells us. 
So it takes a mature and godly woman to minister in the homes of other families. Rather than use their tongues to stir up trouble in the church, Paul urges younger widows to focus their energy and their tongues on their own families. Look at what he says in verse 14. Younger widows should seek to marry a godly husband. I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. Four commands emerge in this one verse. Remarry, not outside of the faith, but within the faith. Bear children, manage the household, and give no opportunity. For the adversary. In other words, seek a godly husband, devote yourself to your family while maintaining faithfulness to Christ and giving no opportunity in your heart or life for the enemy. That's Paul's instruction for young widows. And it's important for us to acknowledge that this instruction just kind of flies in the face of our culture's instruction for young women. For generations, women in America have been told to abandon marriage and home life in the name of feminism. Kind of the spearhead of early feminism, Betty Friedan, one of the most influential feminist thinkers, she told women to go out, meaning go out from your homes, go out from those roles and define your own identity. She told women very specifically that they were not complete until they had explored their identity, listen to this, outside the boundaries of family relationships and biological roles. The very opposite of what Paul is instructing young widows to do. See, the Bible tells us a very different story about women. God made us male and female on purpose. He made us different for a reason. And contrary to our culture's rhetoric, we are not interchangeable. The God of the Bible looks women in the eyes and declares to them that motherhood is a glorious calling. Bearing children and managing a household is also a godly commitment because it's in families that our society is sustained and it's in the family that the next generation, our children, are taught to know and love and serve Christ. Is there ever a reason for young women or young widows to remain single? Absolutely, right? I mean, we, we keep the whole Bible in mind here. Yes, there is instruction from Jesus himself about staying single and not marrying. There's instruction from the Apostle Paul about the same thing. Singleness is an option. It's not an easy path, but it gives the opportunity for an individual to be wholly devoted to the Lord without the added responsibilities. Paul calls them burdens in 1 Corinthians, but I'll call them responsibilities without the added responsibilities of caring for a spouse and children. So yes, singleness is an option. But the overwhelming direction of Scripture is for marriage and family to be pursued for the glory of God. So there you have it. Paul's instruction for us, for the church, on how to care for the lonely and needy among us. And not just for us as a church, but for our women, for us as people. How should we be living our lives? How should we be investing our times? How should we be ministering to and serving the body of Christ? There's a lot for us to consider here. A lot for you to consider here. But I have some practical lessons that I think we can take away from this passage. Number one, the church has a duty to honor and care for those within the congregation who are truly widows. We, as a church at Cornerstone, have a responsibility to honor and care for those who are truly widows within the congregation. 
we as a church also have a responsibility to follow the guidelines in Scripture to determine those who should receive such care. Those who are truly widows, who meet the standards of faithfulness and service, are worthy of the church's care and respect. Number two, families have a duty to provide care for their own widowed relatives. Now, we talked about this last week, but I want to bring it up again. I want to repeat it again. Caring for our aging and lonely parents or grandparents gives us the opportunity, according to what Paul says here, to return to them something of the care that they've shown to us in our youth. What a great opportunity for us to love and serve and sacrifice and care for them, knowing that they loved and served and sacrificed to care for us. But that's not all. We also should be prioritizing care for our aging family members because it pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord. And, as Paul mentions, it helps to relieve some of the burden that might fall on the church so that it can care for those who are truly widows. So take care of your parents, especially those whose spouse has passed away. Show them grace and kindness and love and seek to make their remaining days full of love and not loneliness. And last, third, younger widows should strive to avoid the pitfalls that are common to women in their position. Don't give your time to idleness. And listen, this shouldn't just be addressed at younger widows. It should be addressed at all of our young people. Because I don't know that there's ever been a time in the history of humanity where you've had more idleness, more time to be idle. And instead of being idle, the instruction is invest yourself in the, the work of the Lord. Invest yourself in your relationship to Christ. Invest yourself in serving others, not being idle. Spend your time caring for others. And in the case of those younger widows, if the Lord allows, seek a husband and focus your energy on your family and your household and your faithfulness to Christ. This is a rich passage, and it's a very practical passage. It's a rich passage full of practical wisdom and instruction for us. And and one of the reasons why I wanted to slow down and just talk through all of these different details is that this is probably for most of us, this is not a category that we think about that often. How do we care for the widows among us? But I pray that we will not only consider more about this, but also strive to be faithful to what it says as families and also as a church. So as Christians, we should seek to reflect the heart of God in how we care for those in need within our families and our church. God's word is full of instruction, full of wisdom, and and this should be our goal, to faithfully follow our Lord in how we care for those who are alone and in need among us. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this passage. And I do trust that it will accomplish your purpose. And that purpose being to form our hearts more closely around your own heart and your desire for those among us. Lord, I pray that we would have hard conversations as a family, have hard conversations as a church, have the conversations that need to happen so that we can be prepared to do what is necessary to be faithful to your word and to honor those that we love. So Lord, would you accomplish this among us? And let it be said of Cornerstone that they care for those who are widows among them. They care for those who are alone and needy. Help us to grow in this. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.